0: Amen. Wasn't that so good? Mitch, thanks so much, man, for giving that testimony. It's a blessing to uh, just to be able to hear what people have gone through, and it gives us a way to get to know each other a little bit better just to see how God has worked in people's lives. But man, it's such a blessing to, to hear that. Such a blessing to be in the house of the Lord this morning. Why not you look at your neighbor and say, man, I sure am blessed to be here with you this morning. You all look wonderful this morning. We've headed on into 2023. You know, we had a We had a wonderful prayer meeting on Wednesday, and um, a lot of people shared, you know, what God was speaking to their hearts on Wednesday, and we actually, at the end of that service, we actually had six people that responded and said, this is the first time I've made this decision, but I want to follow Jesus in a Wednesday night prayer meeting. So so God, God is at work, and you want to... You want to continue to be in prayer for what God is doing in, in in our midst. And in this hour, God wants to reach so many people with His love, with His goodness, and bring them out of situations just like Mitch was in. So we're in um, a sermon series called Consecrate. And I'm going to be in 2 Chronicles, uh, starting in verse 16. I just want to read one verse. And it's funny because I... I, I, I you know, sort of developed this sermon over the week. And last night I, th- I thought, man, I'm going to be reading so much scripture today. And I went to bed and I had this dream that I was midway through my sermon and all y'all got up and walked out. So <clears throat> I think that wasn't the Lord. It was probably just my subconscious. Uh, but we're going to read some Bible this morning. Amen. Somebody said, I love the Bible. Praise God. I like it when you do that, Clay. So Second Chronicles 16, verse 9, I want to speak to you a message called completely his, completely his. 2 Chronicles 16, verse 9, it says, For the eyes of the Lord roam throughout the earth so that he may strongly support those whose heart is completely his. Let me read that to you one more time. The eyes of the Lord roam throughout the earth so that he may strongly support those whose heart is completely his. You've acted foolishly in this. Indeed, from now on, you will have wars. Would you pray with me, please? Father, we just thank you, God. And we acknowledge your word this morning just as it says it, God, that your eyes are literally roaming throughout the earth looking for someone whose heart is completely yours, God, so that you can show your strength and power on their behalf. And so this morning, Lord, you know every heart, But at the end of the day, God, we want to make sure that our hearts are completely yours. And so we pray, Lord Jesus, that your spirit would come, that he would be at work in our midst, that you would convict our hearts and speak to our minds, Lord Jesus, and bring us closer to you than ever before so that we can consecrate our lives completely to you in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. So you know, at the beginning of the year, one of the reasons that we, we've, we've called this Consecrate is because at the beginning of the year, no matter what we've done in the past year, no matter what we've been through, it's always good to have a little bit of a reset, isn't it? It's, it's good to take an evaluation of your life, see some of the highs, some of the lows, some of the habits you were able to keep, maybe some of the ones that you weren't, and say, you know what, I need, I need to get some things back in order in my life, and I need to put some things in order. And, you know, in this year, 2023, anything could happen. Yeah, if y'all remember the last few years, like, you go into a year thinking something might happen, and then you, ha- you have no idea what's going to take place this year. Would you all agree with that? Like, we have no idea what could break out this year. But see, I, we don't know, but we do know that we have God with us. The only thing that we can control is whether or not really we put God first. I don't know what's going to come. I, I don't have a prophetic word for you about what I know is going to happen this year. But what I know is that I have the ability to put God first in my life so that I know that He will show Himself strong on my behalf no matter what may come. And so at the beginning of the year, you know, we make all kinds of promises and we set goals. We say, well, I'd like to see this happen in in, in, in my job, at my workplace, or I'd like to set this goal for my family, or I'd like to set this goal with with seeking God. And and we want all of these goals and we want to put new habits on in our life. And oftentimes Jeremy and I talk about the fact that we don't want to just set goals that sort of fade out. You know what I mean? We We want something that will last throughout the year. But when we're talking about all these goals that we're setting, one question that we rarely ask whenever we're setting these goals is what is God actually seeking? We may be seeking a new job. We may be seeking a better relationship with our wife. We may be seeking a little bit more money. We may be seeking a a better prayer life. But the question we rarely ask is what is God actually seeking? What does God want? What is he asking from me? Because the scripture says that he is a seeking God. His eyes are roaming to and fro throughout the earth and he's looking for something very specific. He's actually looking for someone whose heart is completely his so that he can say, you know what? Now I can pour out my power. Now I can show myself strong support here to this person whose heart is completely mine. Now, in 2 Chronicles, there's a story here, and it's honestly kind of a tragic story. It's about a guy named King Asa, and I want to unfold this story to you about King Asa, about literally a man who started a wholehearted life of devotion to God, but he slipped. And what you see in this story is the power of both wholehearted devotion to God, but also the tragedy of what happens whenever we become half-hearted whenever we let some things slip and our hearts are no longer fully God's anymore. And if you if you read this story, it's very interesting. You, you guys may not like this. I'm a bit of a Bible geek, but the Bible does something and, and it puts a pattern to this story. And the Bible does this very often. It's called a chiasm. And what it means is it, it it's a literary device to show you a pattern where you can remember the story, but you can see how the direction is going. And so what you see is in the beginning of King Asa's reign, when he comes on, like he inherits the kingdom from Solomon, from from Rehoboam, from his dad, Abijah, and every one of them dudes messed it up pretty bad. Compromise and sin had entered in, spread throughout the land. They're worshiping idols. There's all kinds of compromise. They're they're playing with God, and nothing's going on. But when he comes in, see, he seeks God, and he finds prosperity. He wins a great victory because he trusts in God. He gets the word of God from a prophet, and he's obedient, and it leads to this wholehearted covenant to God. But then notice on the back half of his life, and this is what gets a little bit spooky, is the same way that he started moving toward God in a covenant at the end of his life is the same pattern you find him moving back away from God outside of that covenant. And see, this is a warning to us. The Bible says, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10 that you can go to the Old Testament. He said, these things are written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the world have come. He says you're sitting here at the end of the age and he says if you go back to the Old Testament you read this and he says they're written for your admonition. If you pay attention you can get a warning, you can get a direction from this that's happening because then just the same way that he rose in power with God, he then made a covenant with man, he rejected the word of God and finally he died because he refused to seek God in the end. So let's, let, let's sort of unpack this a little bit because I want to start by just saying what does it look like to be wholehearted? What does it look like to have wholehearted devotion to God? And number one, it begins with repentance and reformation. A lot like Mitch's testimony this morning. Repentance and reformation. In 2 Chronicles 14 verse 2 it begins, it says this, Asa did what was good and right in the eyes of the Lord his God for he removed the altars of the foreign gods and the high places. He broke down the sacred pillars, cut down the wooden images. He commanded Judah to seek the Lord God of their fathers and to observe the law and the commandment. Now when we talk about idols, here's the thing. Ain't none of y'all got asher poles in your home, I hope to God. You know what I'm saying? Like, I bet y'all ain't got asher poles. You probably ain't got a little Buddha statue in your house. If you do, you need to get that thing out of there. But the truth of the matter is we don't necessarily have the same idols they used to have, but it don't mean that we don't still have the same idols. Just like in Mitchell's testimony, many of our idols can become money, they can become things. It can become alcohol, it can become our addictions. It can become our home, it can become our children. There can be all kinds of idols in our life that we end up putting before God and when He comes into power, He begins to break down those false idols and altars and He cuts down those images and He commanded Judah to seek the Lord God of their fathers and to observe the law and the commandment. He also removed the high places and the incense altars from all the cities of Judah and the kingdom was quiet under Him. He built fortified cities in Judah for the land had rest and he had no war in those years because the Lord had given him rest. And so see, he inherited a kingdom where there was spiritual compromise. Solomon had turned against God. Abijah and Rehoboam, the kings before him, had turned against God. And what you saw was idols entering into this place. They they go back in time. Actually, I, I was reading in a commentary where they said that they actually found some artifacts of people who were worshiping in Israel during that time. They had artifacts where they would have like an Asherah pole and it would say how Yahweh used Asherah to bring about this or that. See, they begin to mix their worship. Can I tell you that a lot of us, we live a life of mixed worship. We give part of our devotion to Jesus, but we give part of our devotion in our life to something else and we allow compromise to creep into our lives. Well, when he comes on the scene, he says, God, I want to demonstrate to you that I'm not going to be like my father's. I'm going to live in wholehearted devotion to you and the first thing that I'm going after is the altars and the compromise that is that is coming in and can I tell you this when the spirit of God is in you he will not give you or he will not give you peace or rest when you're tolerating sin when the spirit of God is in you he will not give you peace and he will not give you rest when you're tolerating sin Many of us, we tolerate sin, we wonder why our life is so miserable, we wonder why we're struggling so badly, and it's because somewhere along the lines of our life, we've allowed some tolerance of sin to creep in, some little compromises here and there to creep into our lives. I remember when I first became a Christian, man, it was really disorienting, because when I first became a Christian, I didn't see any of my addictions or sinful behaviors or dysfunction as being a problematic thing. You ever lived like that, anybody? Like I just didn't notice it. I didn't notice that my addictions and my drug use and my alcohol use and my cussing and my foul language and my hatred and my anger and my bitterness and my jealousy and all of these things in my heart were a big issue. It's just how I lived. It's how I live. But when the Holy Spirit came into my life, He would not give me rest, and He started putting fingers on things. Like I would justify some of my addictions, He started putting fingers on my alcohol addiction. He started putting fingers on the pot that I was smoking somebody. He started putting fingers on the pornography that I was looking at, and He said, Clay, if you're going to follow me, I'm not going to give you rest on this thing. I'm not going to give you peace on this issue. I'm calling you to a place of repentance because I don't want somebody saying they're serving me with a divided heart. I don't want somebody calling themselves a Christian, being up under the label of Jesus Christ with a divided heart. And he began to call me to repentance. Was it easy? Absolutely not. One of the hardest things I've been through in my life. But I started to give these things and I would wrestle and fluctuate. I finally got to a place where the Holy Spirit did a work in my life, and he started to set me free from those things. But do you know the Holy Spirit went even deeper? Like, he put some pressure on some things in my life. We're talking about consecration, right? I remember I used to, back in those days, we listened to CDs. I know some of you guys, teenagers, you don't even know what that is. (laughs) We used to listen to CDs. Son, I had... I was a Led Zeppelin man. Anybody in here know what I'm talking about this morning? Praise the Lord. And I, I, I still like Led Zeppelin. That's probably like the greatest music that you can listen to is just for music's sake. But in that time, the Lord was doing something on my life, son. Like I threw away DVDs. I threw away box sets, of Led Zeppelin stuff. You know what I'm saying? I threw away T-shirts. I was getting radical. Somebody at me this morning, just one time. Just say like, I feel that clay. I'm okay. <laughs> I'm not. Now, now, I will say over the years, probably I've chilled out a little bit, but at that point in my life, I needed a clean break. I needed a clean break. I'm not saying that every now and then I won't throw a little Led Zeppelin on and, you know, get the lead out. I ain't saying that. (laughs) That ain't what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that at that point in my life, I needed a clean break. I needed a fresh start. I needed it to be Jesus only. You know what I'm saying? And so he even, let me, let me tell you all, some of you gamers, you're going to hate this. I had an Xbox, son. You know what I did with that thing? I picked it up, boom, dumpster. Didn't even sell it. I was like David Wilkerson. I said, we don't sell idols, praise God. <laughs> Amen. Good preaching this morning. See, because when, 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 when God is coming after your heart, he don't, he don't play around. He wants all of it. He wants all of it. And sometimes God will ask you to do things and put certain convictions on your heart that he may not put on somebody else's heart. Now, I ain't going to come in here and tell you to throw away your Xbox, but if the Holy Spirit puts his finger on your Xbox, you better throw that thing away. I'm telling you, when compromise starts to creep into your life, it will rob you of some things. I remember him dealing with my addictions. I remember him dealing with my relationships. I had a girlfriend at the time. Lord said, Clay, you got to cut this thing off. This ain't gonna lead nowhere good. Y'all don't have a good relationship. You've built on a bad foundation. I was like, but Lord, I mean, shit, this, this ain't gonna be good. He said, Clay, you gotta cut the thing off. I said, All right, Lord, I'm cutting it off. Well, it didn't go over well. <laughs> but we moved on. And the Lord said, Clay, I'm moving you into a life of purity. You're not living, you're not going you're not going you're not gonna look at pornography, you're gonna maintain purity. When the right time comes, if I need to, I'll give you a wife. If not, you're going to remain celibate. That's just how it's going to be, big dog. That's my word. I said, all right, Lord, that's a hard word. He said, if you believe me, I'll give you the power to do it. Guess what? He gave me the power to do it by the grace of God. Gave me the power to do it by the grace of God. Then He, start, he starts putting his finger on your relationships. He starts putting his finger even on your entertainment. There were TV shows that I loved. He said, Clay, I don't want you watching that filth anymore. I had to turn that stuff off. God brings you to a place of repentance and reformation and He calls you to this place because He wants your whole heart. Secondly, there's dependence and there's prayer. See, Asa is threatened by this guy named Zerah, the Ethiopian. It says in verse 8, Asa had an army of 300,000 from Judah who carried shields and spears from ben- Benjamin, 280,000 men who carried shields and drew bows. All those were mighty men of valor. Because let, let me say this to you. When you do start to seek God and God does bring some change in your life and you're willing to consecrate yourself and you're willing to repent of some things, guess what happens? You still face some wars. The enemy comes out against you. He does not want you to maintain the victory that you just established in your life. Asa's got victory, but all of a sudden an enemy comes out against him. And it says in verse 9, Then Zerah the Ethiopian came out against him with an army of a million men, 300 chariots, and he came to Marishah. So Asa went out against him and they set the troops in battle array in the valley of Zephathah at Marishah. Man, these are great places. So you see this conflict... This repentance led to a time of great peace, but the enemy still comes out against him. But the good news is he marches out, but he did not rely purely on his natural means because here's the prayer that he prays in verse 11. It says, Asa cried out to the Lord his God and said, Lord, It is nothing for you to help, whether with many or with those who have no power. Help us, O Lord our God, for we rest and we rely on you, and in your name we go against this multitude. We ain't going in our own strength, God. He said you are our God. Do not let man prevail against you. So the Lord struck the Ethiopians before Asa and Judah, and the Ethiopians fled. And Asa and the people who were with him pursued them to Gerar. So the Ethiopians were overthrown, and they could not recover, for they were broken before the Lord and His army, and they carried away very much spoil. Then they defeated all the cities around Gerar, for the fear of the Lord came upon them." Now I'm sitting here thinking, you know, Asa, what was it like? If I was asking, Asa, what was it like whenever you repented and you reformed and you took down all those idols and then the enemies of God came out against you, man, and you called out to God in prayer, you knew you didn't have an army that could match up against that army that came out against you. And you called upon the name of the Lord and he broke out and he defeated. What was it like? And I I imagine he would say, man, it was amazing. It was amazing to see what God did in my life, how he changed the people's hearts and how he won these victories and how he won these battles. Battles for us, and, and I, I want to give you this principle because this is what happens when, an, when a battle comes out against you. Your heart is revealed. You don't know what your heart truly values until what you love is threatened. You don't know what your heart truly values until what you love is threatened. When your children are threatened, when your health is threatened, when these things are threatened, when your life is threatened, all of a sudden. What's on the inside of you will come to the surface. Whether or not you trust God, whether or not you rely on God, those things will come to the surface. Who you turn to, who you depend on, what you depend on will come to the surface. And I believe that we're in an hour where God is actually testing His church in this. Do we really need God or do we not need God? Like, can we have church and call ourselves Christian people and have good programs and have good church services and have good music and preach good sermons and say, but God, we really don't need you. We got, we, we got this. I think a lot of the churches in America are at the point where they think they can build and grow a church whether or not God shows up or not. And can I tell you that churches are full every single week whether God's there or not. Because entertainment can draw people in. Coffee and good music can draw people in. But can I tell you that none of those things matter if we are not dependent on God and say, God, we can't take another step without you. Unless you show up and unless you move in the house, we got nothing. My good sermons, are, I've told God, I've told God, I said, God, I don't want to preach a sermon unless you show up. My good sermons and all my good points and all my smart thoughts aren't worth a dime if your spirit doesn't come up and speak to people's hearts. They're not worth anything. All the good singers we have, not worth a dime if the power of God doesn't come into people's hearts. It means nothing. It means nothing. And so there's this dependence, this desperation. Can I tell you that desperation is a part of consecration? When you move to a place where you say, God, I'm desperate for you. If I don't have you, I've got nothing. I've got nothing, Lord. There's no way I'm going to face these battles. There's no way. And I think, here's what I think. Here's what I've experienced in my own life. Sometimes God will draw His presence from you in order to bless you that sounds counterintuitive doesn't it but sometimes god will will, it's almost like i feel his presence come off of me and i'm like lord what what what's going on here where are you at have i sinned against you but what i find is that god is seeking for something and he's seeking for someone who will seek after him that's what he wants So he'll withdraw his presence from me every now and then. Why? Because he wants to draw me in deeper. He says, Clay, you're getting a little self-reliant. You're getting to a place where you're not praying. You're getting to a place where you think this church is going to run without me, without you calling upon my name, without you needing me desperately. You think you can get up and run this thing, Clay? You need me more than you think you need me. And the greatest thing that I can do in your life is withdraw my presence when you stop seeking my face. I can sit and bless you all day, but if you are not seeking my face, you will enter into a place of brokenness that's going to hurt you. Attacks, failures, and challenges. I'm going to tell you this. Some of you all, you say, well, I just get attacked, I get attacked, I get attacked. You need to start looking at your attacks as a blessing from God because it may be the only thing in your life that's keeping you close to Him. He knows that if you were just blessed and everything was going well, you wouldn't seek Him for a minute. You'd lay down and take your ease and say, praise God, I am blessed. Let's Netflix binge and go on. You know what I'm saying? Like, who needs to pray? We got it made. And that's the tendency of our human hearts. The third thing that happens when we are wholehearted is that we have a response to the prophetic. We we depend on him in prayer. We repent. We enter into a time of reformation. But then when we respond to the Word of God, he's got an incredible victory. God has won this battle against this enemy that's come out on him. And the very next scene, you see a prophet come into him. Verse 1 of chapter 15, it says, The Spirit of God came upon Azariah, the son of Oded, and he went out to meet Asa, and he said to him, Hear me, Asa, and all Judah and Benjamin. The Lord is with you while you are with him. If you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will forsake you. For a long time Israel has been without the true God, They've been without a teaching priest. They've been without the law. But when in their trouble, they turned to the Lord God of Israel and sought Him. He was found by them. What a promise and in those times there was no peace to the one who went out nor to the one that came in but great turmoil was on all the inhabitants of the lands so nation was destroyed by nation and city by city for God troubled them with every adversity but you be strong and do not let your hands be weak for your work shall be rewarded see in this moment the prophet comes to speak to him why because he's won a great victory but here's the potential that we have is that when we win great victories and we start to experience peace and rest our tendency is to then begin to take our ease. Yeah. It's sometimes after your greatest spiritual victories that you need to press into God the deepest because that's when the enemy is going to come to try to take away that which you have won. Yeah. And the prophet comes to say, I know you won a great victory. I know y'all are seeking the Lord. I know you put away your compromise. But let me tell you something, you're just scratching the surface of what God wants to do in your life. This is just the beginning. And he says, verse 8, when Asa heard these words... And the prophecy of Oded the prophet, he took courage and removed the abominable idols from all the land of Judah and Benjamin and from the cities which he had taken in the mountains of Ephraim. And he restored the altar of the Lord that was before the vestibule of the Lord. God had blessed him with more territory. And the prophet comes in and says, man, don't ease up. Press harder. Press deeper. Go further. And he goes in and he brings revival and reformation to the new territories And the prophetic actually stirs him up to respond. Verse 9 it says, Then he gathered all Judah and Benjamin, and those who dwelt with them from Ephraim, Manasseh, and Simeon, for they came over to him in great numbers from Israel when they saw that the Lord his God was with him. When you're wholehearted, the prophetic gives you courage and confidence. And can I tell you this, sometimes when you're wholehearted, it actually aggravates people. You ever notice that? It's the wholehearted person who's willing to speak the word of God who who aggravates the lukewarm. Feel that this morning. It's the wholehearted person who's getting a little bit radical in their response to Jesus who aggravates the spiritually lukewarm. And this prophetic word comes, but rather than it aggravate Nasa, he says, you know what, you're right, I need to turn it up even a little bit more. We need to go after some of the other things that could potentially be a compromise in the future. And he goes after it. And here's the thing, God comes with a prophetic word to propel you forward, to say, I know you've grown in the Lord, but don't just feel good because now you're praying. Press a little bit further into God, there's more power, there's more anointing, there's more that God has for you in your life and in the upcoming year. He says, don't just be comfortable with a little bit of prayer and a little bit of fasting, you've got more that you need to do for God. There's more available. And the prophetic comes in and creeps in and and God stirs us up. I remember uh, in 2020, y'all remember 2020? I don't know if you do. There was a few things that happened that year. (laughs) A few things that happened back in 2020 and thank God for water. Uh, But back in 2020, you know, there's this, I don't know if you remember this or not, there's like this sickness that broke out in the land. And it happened in March. I was taken over as lead pastor of this church in, in April. And so we shut down. I officially became the lead pastor in the middle of a shutdown. We're sitting here trying to figure out how to do online church. Lord God, please keep us from ever having to do that again. Um, anyway, I, I'm, I'm going through all this, man. I'm dealing with stress. I'm wondering if, if the you know, I don't know. Internally, I'm, the, the enemy's telling me, man, this church ain't even going to make it. I, I, I'm tempted to leave. I've got to be honest with you. Like, I'm tempted to just leave and go get another job. There's good opportunities with better pay and better things. I'm just like, ah, maybe I just need to get out of here. Like, there's an opportunity here, God. I mean, look at these open doors. And the Lord made it clear, no, those doors are shut to you, Clay. I've got something to you. I'm wrestling with it. I go that summer. I go that summer to a, a conference, a pastor's conference. And that pastor's conference, I'm sitting in there, and literally, I'm, I'm there's... 100, 150 pastors, they've all got churches of about 10,000 people or something like that in these big cities. They got. We're sitting at round tables and they're talking about, yeah, right now we've got like 150 on staff. and I'm just like, dude, shut up. Ain't nobody wants to hear all that. You ain't encouraging nobody. Uh, our, our current budget's like 12 million. I mean, we know we're doing all right. Uh, I'm like, dude, our budget's 50 grand. I mean, like what do you want from... So I'm getting, I'm getting a little bit depressed, you know what I'm saying? just sitting around here, and I'm sitting there thinking, God, how, how are we going to be able to do anything in, in Manchester, honestly? How, how are we going to be able to do it? How am I going to be How to do I, I know the situation of my current building. I walk into there, and it's leaking every single day I walk in there. I know how much money we got in the bank, Lord. Like what, I know what, how are we going to do that. And I'm just sitting there, honestly, depressed at a pastor's conference. I'm like, I shouldn't have been here. And I'm sitting there worshiping, and a guy on stage, Larry Stock steals his name, while I'm sitting there worshiping, he grabs the mic, and I hear him say something along these lines. He said, Clay Bishop. I said, what? And this is in the whole room, him up on say, He said, you're up there in Manchester, Kentucky, wondering where the resources of God are going to come to. And you've been thinking about leaving just because you don't know where, whether or not you're going to have the resources to do what God has called you to do. And God says, if you would just simply commit to what He's called you to do, He will be your resource. Yeah. He said that from the... And I said, my Lord... And he kept going on, and he he said, now let me tell you this. He said, God's sending you back there to commit, and he's going to be your resources, and you're not even going to know where the resources are coming in there from. But he sent you back into there, and he's called your church to break off that spirit of dead religion in southeastern Kentucky so that people can be led by the Spirit of God once again in that community. He said that to me. I got down on a knee, and I honored God, and I said, my Lord, I said, this is you got to be. I didn't even share that with anybody hardly. I shared that with maybe Andre and a couple other people and just just kept it between me and the Lord. But you know what it did? It caused me to come back to the church with a newfound passion and said, you know what, God? Sometimes I want to leave, but I have heard your word and I'm committed to doing what you've called me to do. And God, you want to do something in this region. I don't know. So, so the prophetic comes to stir us up in that place. And, and sometimes, man, we just need a word from God. I know, I know some people in here, you say you, you doubt prophecy or New Testament prophecy or this or that, and, 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 I, and I understand that. Can I tell you that when it comes to prophecy, there is nothing higher than the Bible, right? Inscripturated prophetic revelation is the only thing that is authoritative for us. Paul even says that New Testament prophecy, New Covenant prophecy, he says you've got to weigh it. He said there's a possibility that it could get mixed in with human error. He says you've got to weigh it and hold fast to that which is good. Cast out that which you know is not of the Lord. So these things are judged, he says. It's not It's not on the same level of Scripture. But even when we met Wednesday night down here, you know what the Lord told me? He said, Clay, I don't want you to get up and teach. I don't want you to say anything. I'm going to do something in front of you. And, and, and I sat down there right there in that chair, and one by one what I heard was people just coming up, and what were they doing? See, it's the spirit of the prophetic. It's when God's Spirit starts to stir people and move people to say, this is what I'm hearing from the Lord. This is what I believe that God is speaking. And we're judging it, but you know what it does? It penetrates people's hearts, and they begin to think, man God this is a word for me this is a word for me for this hour and see God wants to move in his people even, even this week I had a guy tell me he said, he said uh, I hope I don't go beyond sharing it. I'm not going to share any names but he, he said to me you know I, I was about to do something just this week and a guy sends me a message right as I was about to do it and he said the Lord said don't do it and he said it just freaked him plumb out the word of the Lord when it comes I had another guy tell me this morning, he said, you know, because I was talking to him about, about this, about being able to hear God's voice on a daily basis and let Scripture fill you up, but, but, but be sensitive to the Spirit and how He would lead you to speak to others and, 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 and be humble with that. You know, you may, not, you may not get it right all the time. You may not hit, hit it spot on, but you can humbly say, I, I just sort of feel like, and, and a guy shared with his boss at work from this church this week, and he, and he just opened up to him what he felt like God was saying to him, and his boss just began to break down in tears, because God was speaking to him. See, this prophetic stirs you up to move forward and move beyond, and it all submits itself to the Bible, to the Word of God. Amen. But it moves us to a place, number four, where we make a covenant with God, because honestly, when I heard that word, I was like, all right, God, let's do this thing. Let's move into it and make a covenant with God. And Asa realizes that the moment that he's in, he calls everybody forth. In 2 Chronicles 15:10 it says, So they gathered together at Jerusalem in the third month, in the fifteenth year of the reign of Asa. And they offered to the Lord at that time seven hundred bulls and seven thousand sheep from the spoil they had brought. And then they entered into the covenant to seek the Lord God of their fathers with all their heart and with all their soul. And then they took an oath before the Lord with a loud voice, with shouting and trumpets and ram's horns. And all Judah rejoiced at the oath, for they had sworn with all their heart and sought Him with all their soul. He was found by them, and the Lord gave them rest all around." Now, I don't know what this is the equivalent to, but they enter into a covenant to seek the Lord God of their fathers with all their heart and all their soul. And they break out, man, blowing ram's horns and trumpets and everything. I, I imagine it'd be like if, if you made this covenant to seek the Lord your God in this community, it'd be like, like Richie Farmer and the Tigers winning the, winning the state championship. You know what I'm saying? And they come in, boys, on a parade, and everybody's like, ha, 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 Yeah, you know what I'm saying? Clay County, baby, woo! I, I, like, That's the kind of covenant that they made with God. Most of y'all didn't feel that in here this morning. Y'all weren't there in 87. I wasn't either, though. I was born one month later. I was born one month after the glory year. The, The point being is, man, there's something that happens. You make that covenant with God, you sense God's presence, man. There's joy in it. Like when when you when God's presence starts breaking out in our midst, y'all won't be able to sit still in here. Y'all be so excited. You be you, you be coming to church not just like, golly, I'm tired, man, and just sitting there like a like a drone. You know what I'm saying on a Sunday morning? No, you, you, there's an excitement. To the presence and power of God, and you realize, man, we're the people of God. God's breaking out in our midst. We got a covenant with Him. He's keeping us. His power is here. He wants to save people this morning. He wants to heal somebody. He wants to deliver somebody. He wants to move in somebody's heart and somebody's life. And there's an excitement that begins to break out, and it gets so wild that after they make this covenant, he says in, in verse 16, he also he removed Maica. Now this is the mother, his mom. One translation says it's his grandmother. could be his mom, could be his grandmother. Of Asa the king from being queen mother because she had made an obscene image of Asherah and Asa cut down her obscene image then crushed and burned it by the brook Kidron and there was no war until the 35th year of the reign of Asa. Let me tell you something. When you got beef with grandma, that's when you know your covenant's real. When you go to your mama... Or you go to your grandmama and you start dealing with generational issues of idols that they have in their lives. And you say, Grandma, I love you more than anything, but we can't have these idols in our life anymore. And you start getting serious about your family. Let me tell you something. Some of you men, you need to listen to your wives about the idols that you've allowed in your life. And when she puts her finger on it, you need to say, I'm willing to burn it, honey. Because if it's destroying our family, then I'm willing to put it away. Some of you all need to listen to this because when you have a covenant with God, there's certain things that you don't allow in your home. And you're willing to go back generationally, back to what your dad did, back to what your granddad did to say, no longer is this taking place in my house. And that's what Asa does. He confronts his grandmother. He says, honey, we ain't doing this no more. You can mix Asher up in here all you want. I'm going to burn it to the ground. You have to get something in your heart that says, I'm no longer going to be double-minded. I'm no longer going to have a divided heart. I want a covenant with God that is about seeking Him with all of my heart and with all of my soul. And if I do that, I know according to His Word that I will find Him. He enters into this place of peace and prosperity. And Just like we said, sometimes that's the most dangerous thing. We can seek God and see peace and see prosperity and see breakthrough and see healing and see deliverance. Everything gets good for a minute. And everything's just coasting right along, and then you just sort of take your ease and say, "Man, I'm glad we reached this point, God." And all of a sudden, you begin to take your ease, and and and, it's, and everything seems good. But you move into a place just like he did, possibly. And that's what I want to talk to you the second half of his life is the tragedy of half-heartedness because, number one, he ends up making a covenant with man. It's been a long season of peace and prosperity, but once again, guess what? A military threat comes out against him. In sixteen one, it says, In the 36th year of the reign of Asa, Baasha the king of Israel came up against Judah and built Ramah that he might let none go out or come in. And so basically this army of Israel, and at that time Judah and Israel were two different nations. They had split down the middle because of kings worshiping idols and false gods, and God divided them. And so Israel comes in up against Judah and Asa, and when he comes in, he basically surrounds them so that nobody can go out, nobody can come in. And here's the thing. Last time this happened, Asa cried out to God, but this time he does something very different. And it says, Then Asa, verse 2, brought silver and gold from the treasuries of the house of the Lord and of the king's house and sent to Ben-Hadad, the king of Syria, who dwelt in Damascus, saying, Let there be a treaty between you and me, and as there was between my father and your father. See, I've sent you silver and gold. Come, break your treaty with Baasha, king of Israel, so that he will withdraw from me. Now, during this season of his life, I don't know what happens with this man. It scares me to death when I read it. I had no idea what happens with this man, but all of a sudden a man who is set on making a covenant with God and seeking God just all of a sudden turns his heart. All of a sudden he's got no Godward orientation. And one of the reasons this scares me is because I know many ministers, I know several pastors who have started their life very strong and on the back half of their life they fell off. And you can say what you want to about it from whatever theological perspective you've got. All I know is I've seen men of God who seem to be men of God, following God, doing God's will, and all of a sudden something happens. And they turn, and they, they move away, and, they fall, and that, that, that does something into my heart because I would never want to be the one that says, oh, not me, Lord. No, no, i got to call out to God and say, God, never let it be me. One of my greatest prayers is, God, don't let no matter what happens, God, do not allow me to slip away from you. I have tendencies just like every other man. Don't allow me to move away from you. Don't allow me to slip into this ease. Don't allow me to get to a place where I make a covenant with man and I lose my covenant with you. But see, covenants with man will always require you taking what belongs to God and giving it to mere human agents. He takes the gold from God's house in order to pay off the king of Syria, to help him in this place. And I know everybody's got issues where maybe you need lawyers and maybe you need doctors and maybe you need a therapist and maybe you need all these things, right? I, I know people got issues where all these things happen, but let me tell you something. Do not give to the doctor, the pastor, the lawyer, the therapist what is God's. Don't do it. Because when you put your tr- I've seen too many people do it. And when they begin to put these, their trust... I'm not saying that they can't be used by God. What I'm saying is it's their issue of their trust. It's amazing how we pray. whenever the, uh, you know, it, It's funny, man. People are funny. There, if there's a tax on our land, terrorist attacks, man, we will, pray, we will pray, we will pray, we will pray. As soon as the economy gets lined out, we're back to self-reliance. A, a, a disease will break out in all the land. We will pray. We will seek God. We will fast shut this down. Vaccine rolls out. We go back to self-reliance. We put our trust in man. We make a covenant with man. We stop seeking God because this self reliance begins to creep in. And that's what happened with him. He he moved into self reliance, number two. And in 2 Chronicles 16, 4, it says So Ben Hadad heeded King Asa and sent the captains of his armies against the cities of Israel. They attacked Ijon Dan, Abel Maim. Man, great names again. I love these names in the Bible. I'm sorry. I get distracted by them. And all the storage cities of Naphtali. See, he feels like he's gotten away with it because he won the battle by natural means. Can I tell you that sometimes it will feel like you won a battle in your own strength, by your own wisdom, and by your own natural means. Sometimes it happens. But can I tell you, it sets you up in the long term to be able to, to start relying and trusting in things that are not God and it leads you down a bad path. And it did the same thing for Him. The key word here is reliance. Who do you rely upon? Who do you trust in? When everything is falling apart around you, where do you go first? It's a revelation of what's in your heart. And what happens is He starts to rely on Himself. And then thirdly, there's a rejection. Not a heeding of the prophetic word, but a rejection of the prophetic word. Half-hearted people, they resist truth from wholehearted people because instead of bringing them, bringing, bringing them courage, it brings conviction. You know, sometimes people don't like conviction. Can I tell you, conviction is your best friend, folks. When the Lord comes through a friend or he comes through a pastor or he comes through a teacher he comes through anybody, he comes through your mama or your wife husbands and says, this ain't right. And you get convicted, you might as well just walk into it and let the sword pierce you. Because it's one of your best friends in this life. And I, I pray to God, God, let me never lose my conviction. I don't know about y'all, but I want to watch some TV shows and be like, no, we gotta turn that off. I'm serious. I don't want to be able to allow anything in this world to come into my eyes and come into my ears and and, and me not be bothered by it. I want to sense a bothering. I want to be bothered by the Holy Spirit. But see, it says in verse 7, At that time Hanani, the seer, came to King Asa of Judah and said to him, Because you have relied on the king of Syria and have not relied on the Lord your God, therefore... The army of the king of Syria has escaped from your hand. And he gives him this parallel and he basically begins to remind him of his own story which he's forgotten because in verse 8 he says, were the Ethiopians, this is the prophet speaking to Asa, Asa. He says, were the Ethiopians and the Lubim not a huge army? With very many chariots and horsemen, yet because you relied on the Lord, he delivered them into your hand. Notice this. For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him. In this you have done foolishly. Therefore, from now on, you shall have wars. Then Asa, notice, he was angry with the seer and put him in prison. For he was enraged at him because of this, and Asa oppressed some of the people at that time. Now, this is shocking. But can I tell you, as a pastor, what I have found is that when people sometimes begin to slip and in love, I say, now, let me give you my advice. Very, very, very often, people completely and wholeheartedly reject my advice. I've seen it too many times. And I'm only saying it in love. It's not because I'm mad at you. But I've even seen people get angry at me for giving them advice about sinful behaviors that they are currently practicing. I'm not trying to control them. At the end of the day, they got free will just like anybody else. But in love, I come to them. And here's the thing, this man comes to him in love. And rather than receiving it, he rejects it and puts him in prison and is angry about it. When you move into a place spiritually where you don't like to hear the preached Word of God because it convicts you, you are in a dangerous place. Dangerous place. When you come to the house of God to worship, you should desire not a word that condemns and not a word that pushes you away from the Lord and not a word that beats you down, but a word that draws you near and says, I want to deal with that issue in your heart. I want to break that off your life. I'm here to set you free. I'm here to transform who you are. We need a word like that. But what happens is, is when we reject it, a few different things happen. Number one, rejecting the prophetic costs us spiritual opportunity. Because God said, look, if you would have just sought the Lord like you did before, God would have come through and dealt with this himself. But because you relied on man, all of a sudden now you've lost the spiritual opportunity to see God propel you even to deeper aspects of his kingdom. Secondly, it cuts us off from spiritual power because I want you to hear that word. God is literally looking. His eyes are running to and fro throughout this church this morning, throughout the world saying, who in here has a heart that is completely mine? Because you know what I want to do? I want to release my power to them. I want to be a church that when God is scanning the churches in the community and in the state and in the nation and He's scanning and He looks over at City of Hope Church, He looks at us and He says, you know what, there's a church whose heart is mine. And you know what I can do to them? I can pour my spirit and my power out on them and move in their midst because their heart is mine. They've given me their heart. But see, rejecting the voice of God, it leads to conflict. The prophet told him, listen, you've done foolishly in this. You've rejected God. And he said, from now on, you will have wars. And when you reject the voice of God, the word of God and the prophetic, you know what happens? You start to have internal wars. Internal conflicts, mental conflicts, relational conflicts in your home. When you reject the Word of the Lord, there starts to be marriage issue. There starts to be family issues. All of these things happen. And what you need is you need to get back to the Word of God. You need to get back to the written Word of God first and foremost. And you need to let it cut you like a sharp two-edged sword and cut away some things in your life because otherwise you're going to go into conflict. Dallas Willard says this. He says, Denial, usually in some form of rationalization is the primary device that humans use to deal with their own wrongness. Have you ever done that? You ever been in sin, but you figure out a great way to deny it and justify it? Well, I mean, you know, it's, it's because this happened. Well, you don't know what I've been through, Clay. It doesn't matter what you've been through. God's still got a word for it, regardless of what you've been through. It was the first thing out of the mouth of Adam and Eve after they sinned, and it continues up to the latest of the newspaper. The prophetic witness from God must throw itself against the massive weight of group and individual denial, often institutionalized and subtly built into our customary ways of speaking and interacting. He's saying we find ways to deny our wrongness and our sin. He says we find ways to do it institutionally. And if somebody's going to get up and proclaim the Word of God, it needs to throw up against your denial and say, No, 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 you're sinning against God. Amen. Amen. Because we need that on occasion. See, there'll be defensiveness and self-justification that causes us to reject the prophetic when our hearts are divided. And lastly, here's what it leads to. It leads to a refusal to seek God. He rejects the prophetic word. And you know, in this passage in 14, 15, and 16 of 2 Chronicles, seeking God is mentioned nine times. It's mentioned nine times, seeking God. And the covenant that they make with God is centered around seeking Him. Like even at the beginning of this year when we do this consecrate and people decide to do different measures of fasting and we meet for a prayer meeting, what we're doing is we're making a decision to seek after God, to go after Him. But it says in 2 Chronicles 16, 12-13, the same way that he sought God in the beginning is the same way that he fell away from seeking Him in the end. And it says, "...and in the 39th year of His reign..." Asa became diseased in his feet and his malady was severe. I don't know if he had gout or what, but he had a disease in his feet. And it says, yet in his disease, he did not seek the Lord, but the physicians. So Asa rested with his fathers and he died in his 41st year of his reign. I mean, that's, his, that's the closing line of Asa's life. How's it going, Asa? Well, I got a disease in my feet. Oh, yeah? Well, I mean, have you, haven't you prayed about it? I mean, don't you, don't you know what God's done in your life? Don't you remember how God's brought breakthrough and won battles for you and won victory? I mean, this is the God that you know to be Jehovah Rapha, the Lord, your healer. Have you not prayed about it? No, no, no. I, I'm seeking the physicians. I don't need to come to God with my feet. And what happens in our own lives is we get so weighed down with our own things that are going on in our life that we refuse to seek God even about small things. Now, we're just relying on the physicians. And let me tell you something, I'm not up here trying to tell you not to go to the doctor. I go to the doctor sometimes, too, even though they probably pretty much never fixed anything I've had. Amen. I'm sorry if you're a doctor in here this morning. God bless you for your work. You're doing great. I probably shouldn't have said that. Like, every time I preach, there's one thing that I say, man, I wish I just could have retracted that statement. I shouldn't have said that. Thank God for doctors. Thank God for people who are in that. But my point being is, it's easy in any area of our life to seek something else than to come to God and say, God, I need your help on this. Because there's some things that doctors can't heal. There's some things that medicines can't heal. As good as they are, thank you, Lord, that you have given us doctors and you have given us medicines. But there's some things, God, that we need to seek you on. Matter of fact, we need to seek you on everything. There's not one thing. That should come across my life where I don't put you first. And as I'm going to the doctor, I'm not praying about my issue. And saying, Lord, this is yours at the end of the day. Use this doctor. Use these people. Use these medicines, if you will. But if not, God, you move beyond their power and their ability because they will fall short. They're just men. And you might say, man, why did you do it, Asa? Why would you do it? Why would you fall away? I can look at this. I can be judgmental. I can say, Asa, bro, why would you do this? But you know what, instead of saying, why did you do this, Asa, "What I look into my heart and saying I could do this. I could do this. I don't know if you feel that way, but I read this story and I think to myself, I could do this. I've seen tendencies in my heart, as on fire from God as I've been, as many addictions as I've been set free from, I've seen tendencies in my heart to head toward lukewarmness and head toward a covenant with man and look for the programs of man on how to run a church and, and no longer call out to the living God and say, God, we need you in our midst. If I I get up and preach, God, I need you more than I've ever needed you. So number one, we've got to search the state of our hearts. Tony Evans said, past spiritual victory does not guarantee future spiritual success. I don't care if you got saved ten years ago and had the greatest encounter with the Holy Spirit that you've ever had in your life and you delivered and set free ten years ago and God used you to preach to the nations and you saw thousands saved. That spiritual victory will not propel you into the next ten years. He says, committing ourselves to God's agenda is a day-to-day experience. Luke 21, 34, notice this word of exhortation from Jesus. He says, take heed to yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with carousing drunkenness and the cares and anxieties and distractions of this life and that day come upon you unexpectedly. He says your heart could get weighed down and many of you come in here your heart is so weighed down with the anxieties of this life the distractions of this life and the words of him carousing and drunkenness being intoxicated by this world system that this day could come upon you unaware. But secondly we need to identify and renounce any division in our heart. See the primary war in your life is the allegiance for your heart. What are you giving your heart to? What are you giving your heart to? God wants every bit of it. He wants wholeheartedness. In Psalm 86, verse 10, it says, For you are great, and you do marvelous deeds. You alone are God. Teach me your way, Lord, that I may rely on your faithfulness. And notice what he prays. Give me an undivided heart that I may fear your name. I will praise you, Lord my God, with all of my heart. I will glorify your name forever, for great is your love toward me. See, it doesn't say whip up an undivided heart. Nobody can just whip up an undivided heart. You come to, I come to God and I say, God, I don't have, I've got division in my heart. God, I need you to give me an undivided heart. I need help by the power of your Spirit and by the grace that only comes from your throne. Would you give me a heart that wants you and wants you alone? Don't let compromise creep into my heart, God. Do something in me that sets my face toward you always, and don't let anything pull me away or distract me. This is the prayer that you come to God with. This is what he's asking for. We renounce that which causes division. And here's the thing. Asa smashed, he cut down, he removed the idols. I'm going to make a statement here, because what we do often in churches and what we even do in counseling and in our conversations with people is rather than using strong language to get rid of idols, because we don't like to be confrontational, we soften our language. And we just say, oh man, everybody struggles. Oh man, everybody struggles. Can I tell you that everybody does struggle. Everybody does struggle. But what Satan comes is he brings a lie into that moment and he convinces you, That that's just a struggle that you always are going to have to deal with. And God's grace is sufficient. You're just always going to be in that bondage. And no, God says, no, what you need to do is get serious and go to war and cut down that idol. Uproot it. I don't want it anymore in your life. Oh, but that's just mean, Clay. What's a lot meaner is you allowing yourself to live in something that God died for you to be free from. Asa removed it, he smashed it, he cut it down. We end up creating environments of idle management rather than idle destruction. That was a lot better than you looked at me. We end up creating environments of idle management rather than environments of idle destruction. We play with things and say, well, people just struggle. People just struggle. I know people struggle. I've struggled. I've got struggles. But can I tell you, we've got a God that absolutely uproots idols. We had a word that come over and over and over again on Wednesday night that said the thing that you've been trying to chop down in your life, God wants to come into it and uproot it from your life. That was the word on Wednesday night. And he said, now it's time for you to let go of that thing what you've been trying to chop down and get rid of in your life, but you still want to hang on to it a little bit, God says, I want to come in there and I want to tear it up by its roots. I don't care if it's lust, addiction. I don't care if it's anger. you got fits of rage. I don't, I don't, whatever that thing is that you're holding on to and you don't want to let go of, God's saying, I want to come in there and tear up what you've only been trying to chop down. And lastly, when we hear this word, we want to come into the love of God for us. We want to come into the love of God because here's the thing. What I'm saying, this is a word of love. I hope you hear it as that. Because Jesus, the reason He went to the cross was for you to not just be forgiven from sin, but to be set free from the powers of darkness and the sin that enslaves you. He who the Son sets free is free indeed. And Jesus gave everything. He gave His entire life because He loved you so much. And in response, He's simply saying, Look, I went to the cross so that I could die for you and I gave my whole heart on that cross. And when they pierced my side, I bled out blood and water. My heart burst for you on that cross. And all I'm asking is that in response to what I've done for you on that cross is that in your weakness you would come to me and say, God, give me an undivided heart. I want you to take every bit of what I am and say, Lord, I want to give you my whole heart. It's not that we won't struggle. It's not that we won't have difficulties, but we yield to a God that we know can smash our idols and give us new life and give us a new heart and set us free. That's what Jesus has come to do here this morning. I want you to bow your heads this morning. And we just need a time of real response right here this morning. Whether you're at your seat or you end up wanting to come to this altar, I want a time of real response. I don't want people standing after this. I know everybody, this is like yawn time. I get that. I've preached for three hours, it feels like. I know. I'm glad that only a few of you got up and walked out. But in this moment, this is a holy moment right here. And this is a moment where if you sense the Spirit really speaking to those issues, because many of you, I, I just want to be honest with you here for a moment. Many of you, for years and years, you've went to church and you've always just held on to that thing and held on to that compromise. And you've just, you've just gotten to the point where it's just like, that's, that's just who I am, it's what I'm going to do. Some things I'm just not giving up, I'm just going to call myself a Christian, and I'm just not giving that to you, Lord. And the Lord is saying, no, now is the time. You consecrate that to me. I know it will not be easy, but if you'll give it to me, I will pluck it up by its roots and remove it from your life, and I will replace it with something so much greater. It's time to let go of that thing. So, Father, right now in Jesus' name. I pray that by the power of your Holy Spirit you would speak to each of us, God, because we do not want to be half-hearted as we move into 2023. God, we want you to let your eyes roam to and fro throughout the earth and we want your eyes to come over us, Lord, and you be able to say, these people's hearts are completely mine. They're loyal to me and therefore I can release my power to them. I can show myself strongly on their behalf and support them and strengthen them because their hearts are mine. Lord, What we want to be, that's who we want to be, and so we give you our hearts this morning. Just tell him, Say, Lord, I give you my whole heart. Lord, would you give me an undivided heart? Will you ask him that? Will you say, Lord, give me an undivided heart that I'm not distracted by other things and that I don't turn to other things? And if you're here this morning, just like on Wednesday night, if you're here this morning. And you've not given your life to Jesus. You've not given your heart to Jesus. And this is the time that you sense the Holy Spirit leading you to do that as an act of faith between me and you and the Lord. Would you raise your hand real high right now and say, that's me. I feel the Spirit of God calling me. And I want to give my life to Jesus in this moment. I want to follow Him. Would you raise your hand just let me and you and the Lord see just as an act of faith? Anybody at all? Praise the Lord. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to stand to our feet for a moment. I want us to take a real time of response to the Lord. Many of you, if you want to remain seated and seek the Lord, that's fine. All I'm asking you to do is seek the Lord. You can come around this altar many of you that are dealing with things that you feel like you feel like that's a word from you, like I've had something that I needed. I've tried to cut this thing out. I've tried to cut it out. But there's something in my heart that I believe only God can uproot. I'd ask you to come around this altar. Let us pray with you. Let us believe God to do a work in your life. But take a moment here and respond to the Lord. Come around this altar and pray. You got a brother or sister beside you that you know can pray with you? Say, I need prayer. Would you pray for me? But take a moment right here and just respond to the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Move on your people, Lord. Move on your people, Lord God. Lord Jesus, we need you to stir up something fresh and new in our hearts. We need you, Lord God, to uproot those things, Lord God, that are not of you. Holy Spirit, we need you to help us surrender. If you're going to stay at your seat, just pray right there at your seat. Just close your eyes. Just say, Lord, I want to give it to you. I want to give everything to you, God. I'm asking you to uproot these things in my heart. I want to be fully consecrated to you this year, Lord God. And I don't want to stop, God. When I start to relax and and, and move into a comfortable spot, Lord God, I want to come to a position, Lord, where you'll draw me even deeper. Just take a moment right there. Where are you at? You just seek the Lord. They're going to sing.